so okay this is this is the big point in Zizek's theory of ideology so what what is his huge contribution to a theory of ideology it's it sounds really simple but it's it's huge it's that ideal ideological formations ideological sub systems are comprised of meaning and jouissance throughout the Marxist tradition all the way up to out this like ideology has to do with meaning it has to do with how you know that's why Marx and Engels they you know talk about false consciousness um it, like it's a misperception it's a miscomprehension so it's it's a glitch in how we think about things is what ideology is but for Zizek it's it, it there is a form of meaning obviously involved in ideology like um, he's not saying that ideology is purely jouissance. It's that ideology is meaning, but also jouissance. And that that's what the, the, the thinkers of ideology have never seen is how jouissance is actually essential to the functioning of ideology, which is why the book is the sublime object of ideology, which I told you the alternate titles could have been the jouissance of ideology or the real of ideology. Um, so Zizek states this very clearly in Sublime Object. He says, there are also two complementary procedures of the criticism of ideology. One is discursive, the symptomal reading of the ideological text, bringing about the deconstruction of the spontaneous experience of its meaning. That is demonstrating how a given ideological field is a result of a montage of heterogeneous floating signifiers of their totalization through the intervention of certain nodal points. Okay, yeah, really wordy and technical, but all he's saying is that one layer of ideology has to do with meaning and how it distorts meaning, right? But the other, as he says, aims at extracting the kernel of enjoyment, at articulating the way in which beyond the field of meaning but at the same time, internal to it, an ideology implies, manipulates, produces a pre-ideological enjoyment structured in fantasy, right? So what keeps us hooked on our ideology is not misconceptions or misunderstandings of how society actually functions. It's that we get certain forms of enjoyment out of ideology. That's what keeps us coming back almost like Pavlovian dogs, right? Like that's what makes us uh, thirst after our uh, our enjoyment, like a, th a thirst after our ideology is the jouissance it offers us, which is to say the forms of inherent transgression it provides and that the superego commands. And so that's his whole thing, right? Like the the two procedures of ideology, one has to do, one has to do with meaning one has to do with the jouissance, right? But at the same time, ideology itself has two procedures other than just meaning and jouissance. So this is how he describes it. And this is a this is probably the best introduction to Zizek's work. It's a book. Nobody seems to read this book, but it's called Conversations with Zizek. It's just a series of interviews with him. I cannot recommend it enough. It is so clear. And he covers so much theoretical ground. And it's almost like the uh, the, 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 the interviewer, um, he's able to 
kind of corral Zizek to stay on topic in a way that he doesn't always do in his books. So in a way that no but, interviewers ever do when they have the opportunity. Yeah, like let, it's it's really let really me, good. Let me say a thing really quick. Let me get upset really quick. Okay, like look. Okay, if you've gone into like the European graduate, the old European graduate school lectures that Zizek gives, like you can see him like dealing with concepts. You know, be just doing theory. Um, Almost anywhere else you see him, he's going to be kind of memeing and he's still doing theory to some degree. But it's like, I mean, when we met him, he showed up. I mean, we saw him coming a mile away. He had a pack of his of his boys around him and he comes walking up and then we were like in the thick of it. You know, we were part of it as well. And the guy is just literally nonstop. Uh, the guy does not have an off button unless he's listening to a speaker, uh, which, you know, he does very politely. But when it's his turn, he goes and he's telling jokes. He's talking about history. So, I mean, it's pretty much jokes and historical anecdotes. That's the main thing. But he brings in Lacanian concepts and Hegelian concepts all the time. All right. Okay. But when people have him on their fucking podcasts, they don't get into the theory because they don't do all this reading. And if they do all this reading, they don't have all the background knowledge that you were talking about at the beginning of this. So... All I'm saying is like my my bucket list thing someday I more than anything would just love to see uh, Mikey and Zizek or Slavoj have a chance to actually just just talk concepts for a while. And I, I'd kill to see it. Well, like I say, I mean, I feel I mean, profoundly lucky just to get to do it, that with Todd on a regular basis. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, it would be a dream of mine to get to interview Slavoj because you know I don't I don't really care about his takes on like geopolitics or anything like that I just want to pick his brain on pure Lacanian theory I mean of course Hegel too but you know I like out of the two like I'm more interested in the Lacanian stuff um which I, I mean somebody easily go well they're inseparable for him I know I know I'm just I'm I'm more focused on the Lacanian concepts and so yeah it'd be really fucking cool to get the biggest brain on them okay so here's here's the deal like what ideology does is it also generates a sublime object now which is to say it generates an object that is permeated with jouissance like the the issue is though the sublime object can also simultaneously be the object you want destroyed, the object you, like, it can be a lot of things. It can be the very thing that causes you to desire that you're chasing, that you're pursuing. It can also be the thing that you feel like has hoarded your enjoyment, that has a monopoly on jouissance, that has too much, an unfair amount of jouissance, and that's not fair. So, basically... Like for an ideological subject, the sublime object can be something that's either enchanted by, it wants to possess, it esteems, it glorifies, or it can be something that it, it's repulsed by, it wants destroyed, it it hates, etc. And it depends on how the me the field of meaning is organized, right? Like sublime objects are generated through how the ideological field of meaning is situated. And so 
to cut through the terminology, this is why rhetoric is so important in politics. Because what rhetoric does without knowing it is it, it, it basically suggests what the libidinal dynamics of a society are, right? Like, this is why politics always has a rhetorical dimension. And we have so much trouble envisioning a politics that would be purely dialectical, argumentative. And I, when I say argumentative, I mean in like the strict logical sense of presenting arguments. Um, we can't really envision that because what idea, what rhetoric does is it establishes libidinal coordinates. And it's like, it's either saying this is what we have to do to have full enjoyment or th these people over here, they've come in and fucked shit up and they took our enjoyment from us. And so different forms of politics are going to be based around the rhetorical ways those forms of politics generate sublime objects. This is what's a, well, this is basically Todd's thesis in his new book. He's talking about that you're going to have a radically different type of society if leftist, leftist enjoyment prevails in it, opposed to a society where rightist enjoyment prevails. They're going to have radically different structures to them. And so um, I want to read this quote. This is dense, but we'll get through it. He says in Sublime Object, this is on page 192, he says, the real is something that cannot be negated, a positive inner datum, which is insensitive to negation, cannot be caught in the dialectics of neg negativity. But we must add at once that it is so because the real itself in its, in its positivity is nothing but an embodiment of a certain void, lack, radical negativity. It cannot be negated because it already in itself, in its positivity, nothing more but an embodiment of a pure negativity, emptiness. That is why the real object is a sublime, which is just an embodiment of the lack and the other in the symbolic order. The sublime object is an object which cannot be approached too closely. We get too near it it loses its sublime features and becomes an ordinary vulgar object. It can persist only in an interspace, in the intermediate state, viewed from a certain perspective, half seen. If we want to see it in the light of day, it changes into an everyday object. It dissipates itself precisely because in itself, it is nothing at all. Now, obviously complicated, but his point is that when a certain object a certain person, for example, is elevated to this sublime position, right? Um, this sublime status. It's simply just because of how that person gets positioned within your frame of reference, right? Like there's nothing like when, the person that you have strong sexual desire for. There's nothing in and of that person that is sublime. You're putting the sublimity there based on how like the, the specific traits you have come to desire sexually throughout the course of your development, right? Like there's nothing intrinsically sublime about anything. What makes it sublime is how it fits into our frame of perception. And so that's how you can talk a sublime object into being. That's really, is that not seduction? Like you make something desirable 
that wasn't desirable simply through how you talk about it, right? And so the whole point is that the sublime object is an ordinary object that we basically project objet into, which is, again, it's a nothing. That's why he's so big on emphasizing that the sublime object is a nothing, but it's also a positivity. And that's where this gets tricky, but it's a positivity precisely because it's real causal effectivity in our lives is undeniable. Like it organizes our life, our personal lives. It organizes our social lives. It is the nothing that has more positive effects than most positive things. And so that's the trick of ideology is that ideology through how it totalizes society, how it rhetorically describes society generates a sublime object outside of society that itself defines the society. And again, I know that is even wordy in how I just said it, but the whole point is that nothing, no objects are sublime in themselves. It's ideology itself that produces sublime objects and it's sublime objects that also reproduce ideological systems. And what's a sublime object? <laughs> and what's a sublime object? Yeah, right. I know. So the, here's the point, right? Let's take the, the classic example. There's nothing intrinsically, overtly libidinal or phantasmatic about Jewish people. It's how Hitler and the Nazis talked about Jews that made it like they had this excessive supplement inside them. They have stolen all of the, the Germans' enjoyment and they're hoarding it, right? And now the, the Germans are suffering. They've taken a loss because the Jews are have this excessive dimension to them, this excessive relationship into uh, uh, in relation to enjoyment. It's all concocted. It's not real. Jews don't have any special relationship to jouissance more so than anybody else. But they get fixed in the sublime position, the, the position of excessive enjoyment, based on how they were talked about. Now, when we get into like this, the, I'll just call it the semiotics of ideology. But when we get into talking about the master signifier and the quilting point, this is like the Lacanian Zizekian theory of language or signification, right? And the whole point is that it's through how we organize our meaning that certain groups, people, or objects get positioned in the sublime position. Now, on a personal level, the sublime object can be, again, I've told you, it can be the thing you feel like has stolen your enjoyment and is hoarding it. And so it's like this repulsive thing you want to destroy, or it can be the thing that you're lusting after that if you could just get it, it would, it would be, it would, it would, it would fill you in. Right. So like somebody like, a, you know, a consumer could just, Oh, if I could just have that one car, everything like my life would be so awesome. Right. Like they keep living the consumer life and going through the motions on the phantasmatic hope of attaining some sublime object that's out of reach. Okay. So that's the trick, is that the sublime object can be something you want 
to possess or it can be something you want to see destroyed. It depends on how it's made sense of in your ideological framework. In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time-energy critique of any of those things? This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area, late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're gonna be all over the area there, hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state. Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything and it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy whereas other people want to take you out and show you around and so if you're interested in being a volunteer host or guide we have a special form for that so please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you touch base with the local community and if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Boldrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. 
this tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. And yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Theory Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the university by Carl Jaspers, dedicated forum. Slavoj Zizek's For They Don't Know What They Do, dedicated forum. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces, is that ability to return, to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors if you want to donate go to theory underground.com forward slash support thank you